everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing It in Real Estate. Today we have Clifford. Clifford is a real estate investor here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Clifford came from a W-2 background. He's currently a full-time real estate agent, and he owns 30 rental properties across the United States. Clifford, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Brian. Oh, this is awesome. Good to... Thanks for, thanks for having me here. Definitely, dude. Hey, Clifford, can you kind of jump into how you got started and tell us a little, a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I, in terms of, uh, my real estate background, um, I got started. Well, coincidentally, my, my dad helped me purchase my first uh, unit. Okay. This was a townhouse in, um, in the Los Angeles suburbs in a city called San Dimas. Oh, wow. And actually, even before we jump into that, we should give a quick little shout out. Brian and I, we both went to Gabrielino high school in San Gabriel. So got to shout out the six two six. Um, Best high school in six to six. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that, that townhouse was my first glimpse into being a landlord. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't that actively involved with it. My dad kind of helped manage it. But I did start to learn kind of through osmosis what that process was like and just seeing, hey, you know, we have to send out the lease, get it returned to us. Um, mm-hmm. and also just the, the rent collection process um, and dealing with you know, turnover with tenants. Um, and then from there, this was now jumping forward to about 2016. Mm-hmm. I, I just started getting really fascinated with bigger pockets, learning about the industry, and um, and I took the plunge and bought uh, my first single family home. But it was wow. out of state, and it was in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And so fast forward. Oh no, go, yeah, go ahead. What was that feeling like buying your first property on your own? Uh, it was pretty scary. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially being out of state. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was just really excited about it, and and um, and I knew it was a good learning opportunity. You know, I think even even still in my life, like a, a big philosophy is just learn, learn, learn as much as possible. So I knew even if I made mistakes along the way, you know, it'd be a good good chance for me to uh, to course correct and and, and yeah. get definitely. Tell us about the first property. How'd you find it? How'd you fund it? How'd you run the numbers? Like, how'd you do it, Cliff? <laughs> Um, so I narrowed down my focus to Philadelphia, um, kind of mm-hmm. my investment thesis on the city of Philadelphia in general is last major East coast city that hasn't had kind of a real estate revival. Oh, wow. Boston, Washington, DC, Manhattan, New York, um, Miami, you know, all those places, pretty expensive, uh, real estate costs. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, Philly could be a good opportunity. And, and luckily that was a city that I used to cover in my old job in tech. So, oh, wow. you know, once a quarter and just had a pretty good feel for the city. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next couple steps, find a real estate or investor friendly agent mm-hmm. who coincidentally is someone that I keep in really close contact with. Like he, um, I mean, we talk probably once a week, once every two weeks, just catch up on like real estate deals. So it's awesome to have, like, it's, it's crazy to see the relationships that you can just build. Um, yeah. Meeting a stranger on a bigger pockets forum. So you found your your real estate agent in bigger pockets. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you just post in the forms. Be like, hey, I'm looking for a real estate agent. 
Yeah, I think I did that, but also I think I just kind of um, snooped around like the Philly sub uh, sub forum mm-hmm. and I saw like who um, was posting frequently, who who clearly had some market knowledge. Mm-hmm. It out to me. So then I reached out to like two or three agents, gave them all a call, and I got got the best feel from 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 my agent Jeremy. I like I like that a lot. I also do, actually do the same trick too. Okay. Like, every time I'm exploring a new market, I was posting bigger pockets to be, hey, like, is there any, any real estate agents in this area? Yep, yep. And yeah, this thing, yeah. to, um, to, to work with clients. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, very quickly you can get a sense of like, are they an expert in their field? Definitely. You can kind of get a feel for that in the first couple of questions, you know? Mm-hmm. You can ask them about which area is good for rentals, what's the ROI, RIRR. And if they can answer those correctly, if something that they say something ridiculous, like, oh yeah, I think the cap rate over there is like 4%, it's like a normal rate. And you're like, the hell? Like, do you even work with investors? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, I would say a lot of residential um, realtors I've dealt with, I think they're, they're not too familiar with, with cap rates. So, yeah. Or, or when you talk to them, you feel, I, I felt that sometimes the, their knowledge about kind of the investing side is a little bit superficial. So it's okay. important to dig in and ask those questions. But at the same time, I think someone who's good at finding a deal, mm-hmm. they know the investment side of the process. Like real estate is just so broad. There's a full spectrum yeah. of things to know. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can find a good agent that can find good deals, but they might not necessarily know the cap rate and, and all the math behind it. And that's fine too. Okay. Wow. That's uh. That's- that's a different approach, but I like that. That's cool. So, so you found your real estate agent through Bigger Pockets, and you got your first property through through him, right? Through him or her? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he then a few deals that were on MLS, and then okay, offer move forward with it. Wow. How'd you pick your neighborhood? Because I know Philly is pretty big. Like, there's different neighborhoods that's totally different from every other street. Like, how'd you decide that neighborhood, and how'd you run the numbers? Yeah, um, it's a good question. So, so that neighborhood um, is is kind of like if you know the San Francisco area, it's kind of like the Marina, mm-hmm. Philadelphia. It's kind of like a kind of not a bougie area, but it's a nicer kind of suburb area, mm-hmm. and a lot of um, younger folks like right after college, young professionals and young families. Mm-hmm. That to me was really appealing because it's um, constant renter pool. And also folks that might not be looking to, to purchase. So there's a strong renter population and okay. um, to, to income levels like on the higher end as well. So it's like a B-class neighborhood. Um, and then in terms of running numbers, I just have a pretty uh, quick and simple model that I run all of my purchases through. It takes mm-hmm. a few minutes to fill out. Purchase price, renovation costs, um, property tax, insurance, um, property management costs, and then you a pretty pretty strong sense of what IRR will be on a five or ten year basis from there. Okay, that's really cool. I like that you mentioned that you you purposely picked an area with good income and a strong renter base. Mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake that most people make getting to out of state rentals is that they look at you know the crime rate, the schools, but they forget to see if it's a strong renter market. You know. Yes. Yes. Oh, and yeah, good point. Yeah, like crime rate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh, you know, population growth. Um, migration into that neighborhood, you know, all of those are important uh, numbers to be tracking. Okay, wow, that's that's really cool, man. Because I think when the first time I hopped into my first deal as well, I I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. I was telling myself like, even if I lost all my money, I'll still be okay because they're relatively young. 
<laughs> I was wondering if you went through that kind of mindset too, like you know, like all that fear and uncertainty, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's natural, especially when you're dealing with real estate. It's not like buying a candy bar, and if you don't like it, you throw it away. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like you're talking about big chunks of money, mm-hmm. um, especially at our age. Probably a good portion of your net worth, you're deciding like, okay, let me invest this. Yeah. So it's, I think it's natural to be scary, and and that's like another option too, which is if if you're nervous about doing that first deal on your own, mm-hmm. the option of partnering, which I think is 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 a really worthwhile one. To Definitely, man! Can't wait to jump into your other bigger partnership deals in the future. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um. So when you first started your real estate career, you know, you you started with your dad, and you purchased your first property, and you purchased one your own. At what point and what year did you decide, hey, like, I want to go for something bigger? I want to find more partners to take down bigger deals. Like, how did you make that leap from single family to multifamily? Because I know for most people, that's a big challenge, man. Like, how'd you do it? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people who, I, I think the, the, the path that I've been on has been like a very common one in the sense that folks mm-hmm. muster up the courage to like get in their first deal. And it's likely mm-hmm. a single family home because you know, that's what you can afford or feels like um, a good one to kind of learn the ropes with. And then you do a few of these, like we ended up, you know, between me and my wife, we own like eight single family homes. as, as wow. And then it's like, okay, well, you realize the way to scale this up is to get into multifamily. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the natural progression. So it was just part of my, um, my goal for 2019. I remember just sitting down and at the end of 2018 and going, okay, if I, feel like real estate is a, is a lucrative field to, to get into. And I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing at this point. Mm-hmm. I need to scale this up. And so yeah. I just started to talk to everyone that I know about real estate. And coincidentally, mm-hmm. one of my friends from college reached out at, you know, a month after I talked to him. And he was like, hey, if you want to partner on something, let's go for it. What? That's so, so cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, I mean, that was just so unexpected, but really kind of opened my eyes to the idea of partnership. And, and that's been really fun. So we, we bought a 20 unit in Charlotte. We closed that a few months ago and then we're closing next week on a four unit in, in Kansas city. Congratulations, man. Those are pretty big moves. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I know that partnerships are relatively hard. Um, I mean, did you, do you have any idea what partnerships would be like entering to one? Like how do you guys have that gut, you know, that gut feeling when you're about to partner with someone, you're thinking like, are we compatible? Mm-hmm. Essentially, I think partnerships are like another marriage. Essentially, yeah. you marry that person, you make decisions together. Like that's that's a really hard part of real estate or anything you do. You know, like did you like vet him or just went for it with your gut or did you know him that well that you can really trust him? Like, how did you make that partnership connection? Sure, sure. And I noticed you mentioned another marriage. Is are you already married and have another partnership marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on each deal, right? I'm always married. Different people. <laughs> <laughs> I know you bring up a good point. Like it's 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 another scary leap that you have to take when you partner with someone because mm-hmm. you don't control the whole process anymore. You're now working with someone very very closely, and you have to make sure that not only your your mindset aligns, but also the the work that you're going to be putting in, or or if they're just going to be bringing in cash, or you're only going to be bringing cash, making sure that that's clear up front. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, once you get into business with someone, yeah, it's like, you know, it feels kind of like a marriage in some ways. But um, this partner, I mean, I, I knew him in college mm-hmm. and we we're in the same kind of business club. 
and we've just been we've been friends ever since. So, people, so a lot of people say don't invest with your friends. I've kind of the opposite has been true, which is um, your your close friends that you invest with, um, you already trust them. Hopefully, you have the same mindset and also business goals. So, um, a lot of that kind of um, is already cleared. And then just being fun with the other stuff um, really helps make uh, the partnership work out. I like that you brought that up too, because I agree with that statement. Like, I can't really partner with someone if I don't really know them that well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just an uncomfortable feeling because you're putting so much money in like that project with someone else that you don't really know, you don't really trust. Yeah, like, exactly. I think that's a generational thing, you know. Because I think like like the older mentors always tell me like don't work with friends. Mm-hmm. Whereas like. I feel like our generation and younger, like we want to work with our friends. Like, I think that's the best way to go. Yeah. I've, I've had a, a really good time. I mean, it's only been like four or five months at this point. So maybe we're still in the honeymoon phase, but is it still honeymooning? <laughs> it's been awesome. You know, I, I think the one thing that you need to be clear up front to is like holding period. Like yeah. With all these investments we've been clear, like this is a five to 10 year hold. Mm-hmm. I think you can get into a tricky situation if someone is like, no, I want to sell within a year or two. Yeah. It's like, I want to keep this investment. But even in your contract, like in our operating agreement, there's protection. Mm-hmm. It's like you can buy the other person out at okay. like market value um, of their you know portion of, of, of the equity. So as, as, as for your operating agreement, did you draft it up yourself or you hired someone to draft it up for you? We, uh, for the first one, we used an attorney. Okay. That's good. I think I think that's the best way to go too. I think for all, all my operating operating agreement, I also use their attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to other people about their scenarios about not using attorney, and things always go sour one way or another. You know, like and then yeah. we don't know how to make the the, the split. <laughs> it's a little bit confusing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For, from my understanding of how operating agreements get drafted, like if you. Um, don't have a strong template that are, an attorney has already vetted and you're going about it on your own. Yeah. Open yourself up to a can of worms that it could be torn apart pretty quickly by uh, a seasoned attorney, you know, if you're, if you're creating it brand new on your own. Yeah, definitely, man. Hey, Cliff, like, as you mentioned before, like, you made the transition over from a W-2 to become a full-time real estate investor and real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Like, what caused that move? What was that mindset like? Um, a couple things. I think one, um, one motivating factor was just, um, really enjoying working in real estate. It's been six six years, uh, you know, six years I've been involved in this industry Mm -hmm. and, uh, I I haven't gotten tired of it at all. Like it's, I get energized when I wake up, I really enjoy this field. And, um, the other piece was thinking, how do I, uh, spend more time? Because, in terms of finding deals, as, as the market gets a little bit more, you know, saturated with investors, mm-hmm. having schedule flexibility is super important to be a, a good real estate investor. Mm-hmm. I might as well just go full time into the, the real estate field. <laughs> and I spend most of my week on the um, realtor side for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that flexibility to look for deals has been nice. Um, okay. Also, like the big part of just working in corporate America, I worked, you know, in investment banking before. I worked in tech for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. not feeling fully fulfilled yeah wanting to just carve my own path wanting to 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 
do it my own way, you know, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but at least I set my own terms and, and I'll do the research and put in the hard work and, and hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, I like that too. I think that was also my mindset as well. I felt really trapped inside of W2. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, like I'm meant for something bigger, you know, and being real estate, you get, you get full control too. You can kind of dictate how your life is heading. Like you can kind of dictate who you want to work with, who you want to talk to, who you want to interact with. That, that's the cool part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the next question is, how do you end up picking the rental niche? Because I know real estate is such a broad field. You know, like a lot of people I talk to, they always have the shiny object in syndrome where they're like, oh my God, syndication. Oh my God, flipping. Oh my God, buying home. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, dude, just pick one. You know, like just pick one, whatever field you pick, just get really good at it. Like, and then you're going to make a lot of money in each niche. Like, how'd you end up picking like the out-of-state rental or rental niche? Yeah. Um, kind of goes back to, to my kind of uh, investment kind of thesis and philosophy a little bit, which is if you're fortunate to live um, in a high cost, or I guess unfortunate to live in a high cost <laughs> in San Francisco, but probably fortunate that salaries are relatively high. Yeah. My investment philosophy has been take, take your, your dollar here and invested in other American cities. Like I'm bullish on America's economy as a whole, the real estate market in America as a whole. Um, take that money and invest it in other places um, that um, cash flow and have some strong potential for appreciation. But I never bank on appreciation. Kind of always um, cash flow is like the main thing. Yeah. Um, specifically for rentals, like it's just me thinking about mitigating risk. Like we target B and C class neighborhoods for rentals. Mm-hmm. And, co-working spaces, commercial real estate, all these other things are, are possible. But I think um, with that potential higher return in those other sectors or niches, um, there's just more risk. And everything that I've read about rental units is like that BC class spot. is kind of the sweet spot in the sense mm-hmm. that if the economy turns and there's a, you know, a recession or something is going to be coming down the road, like I hear the phrase, we're closer to the top than we're to the bottom, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, I mean, we've had such a good bull market for the last, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years. Um, that niche of BC class rentals, I think, should hold strong relative to the other um, niches. Yeah, I agree. People will always need a, a roof over their head, and if you're targeting A class rentals, like those people will shift down as their as their income, you know, gets shrunk. Yeah, um, C class, but that BC class is always kind of your your bread and butter for for renters. Okay. Yeah. I like that a lot too. And that's kind of also the reason why I'm, I'm attracted to rental properties is, you know, it's, um, I feel like it's a economy shelter kind of feeling where it's like, no matter how the economy is going to go, people are going to, going to need a place to live. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you see other, other niches as well, like real estate development and like real estate flipping. And you're like, man, like that's, you look at them and that, that, the amount of money they get really quickly, like it really entices you. You get the shiny object syndrome, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, maybe I should do that, this and that and this. But I like how you stay focused, you know, like, I don't get that from a lot of people I talk to. They're always mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to try this, I want to try that. But for you, you're like, okay, like, I know this is a good path. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to get really good at what I do. So I, I like that a lot, you know? Yeah, I think, I, I think it's with anything, you know, like you want to develop some expertise first before you branch out. Kind of, you know, you have your hand in a lot of different cookie jars, but you're just mm-hmm. super strong at one. Yeah. Like, you know, the rental property game, I think, is, is a good base to build off of too. Like mm-hmm. that solid cash flow for someone, 
And then from there, they can get into more like commercial or, or other, you know, what I think is a little bit riskier. Yeah. For higher returns. So like have your base. Branch mm-hmm. out a little bit. So let's kind of jump into your commercial acquisition. You said you could acquire a 20 unit property in Charlotte with mm-hmm. your college roommate. How'd you go about acquiring this deal? Did you fly out there to check out the area first or how'd you, how'd you make this, this deal happen? We had a short list of cities that we had researched kind of based on what we were talking about earlier, population, mm-hmm. growth, job growth, strong employers in that area, um, strong rental market. And Charlotte was on our short list and we just booked a flight out there. <laughs> Midweek, we were um, both kind of between jobs at the time. So we we're just like, okay, let's just go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just booked a bunch of meetings with either property managers, residential real estate agents, and a couple commercial brokers. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the commercial brokers had a deal for us. And at first, same thing, we were really nervous. We we're like, okay, he just met us. How can he have a good deal for us? And mm-hmm. You know, we just did a bunch of due diligence and, and we toured the property that day. And then right before our flight, the next day, we also stopped by again. Um, mm-hmm. Also doing a drive by at night too, you know, it gives you a different sense of the neighborhood. Definitely. Um, when we got back home, we ran the numbers and we submitted an offer at what we felt comfortable. And then there was some negotiation back and forth because mm-hmm. the deal at first, the seller said, no way. And mm-hmm. forgotten about the deal. And I think it was about a month and a half later, I got a call and he said, Hey, are you guys still interested? Well, within 30 days. Okay. Kind of just another um, testament to staying in your strike zone, running the numbers and, and don't stretching because mm-hmm. you don't want to push yourself just to get your first deal. Yeah. You don't want to force anything. Exactly. I, always, I always tell people in a tough economy or even whenever you feel like a recession is coming, try not to be too creative. Like creativity only means the deal is it's not that good. And you're using too much of your emotions to make the investment. Yeah. You know, if it's a no-brainer, you're like, duh, then it's a good deal. <laughs> I'm sure you've gone through this too, where you're like running things in your underwriting model and you're like, okay, well, vacancy should be this, but if it drops to this. Exactly. This Don't compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's when it gets dangerous. You know, you need to yeah. be really, really diligent um, okay. and strict with yourself in terms of what yeah. you're so what kind of cap rate were you getting this property for? Or what kind of cap rate do you usually aim for when you acquire like commercial properties? This one was in the high sixes. Okay. Um, so, and, and cap rates, you know, it's just like anything kind of relative to the market. So we felt like it was a good deal because um, cap rates in Charlotte near downtown are in the high, you know, in the fives, mm-hmm. low to mid fives. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting a relative good deal on this. And that, that was a, Current cap rate, we think mm-hmm. up to you know seven, seven and a half. With That's some really good. Too. That's another thing to be um, cautious of is like mm-hmm. the stated cap rate. When you see these pro forma cap rates from from the commercial broker, um, make sure you run your own numbers because they yeah. are very optimistic with with their yeah nobody. Even even like even if you get the deal from one of your close friends or anyone else, like make sure you always run your own numbers, like. Exactly. I always always tell people like don't trust anyone else except for yourself. You know, like, you have to see the numbers for yourself and run it yourself. Like, everyone can make a mistake or someone's too optimistic, like you have to see the numbers for yourself. And for this property, did you do any forced appreciation to it? Or did you just got it in good condition and rent it out for market rates? 
Oh, um, yeah, we need to do some renovations on two of the units. But mm-hmm. many of them have been renovated in the last wow. 18 to 24 months. So you got um, so 18 units in good condition? That's a, that's a good deal. <laughs> well, we, I think we got a pretty good deal on it because we had to move on it quickly. Um, okay. So, so during the, we kind of did a refi on it afterwards. Okay. And it was for about 200 grand more than wow. we purchased for. So you basically got all your money back. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've cashed out a good, good portion of the equity already. So, did you purchase? Since, since you mentioned that you had to move fast, did you purchase the property with hard money, or did you just? We we didn't use a hard money lender for this, but we did purchase it all cash. Okay. Wow. Congratulations, man. Sounds like you're doing really well. <laughs> we need to talk later. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We're partnering. Partnering is the key. <laughs> So you mentioned that you did, well, you did real estate for six years now. Um, how do you keep yourself motivated, motivated every day? Do you have like a morning routine? Do you have an affirmation uh, schedule that you follow? Like, how do you keep yourself so motivated? I love this question because, um, yeah, motivation, like just in life is just really interesting to, you know, think mm-hmm. I say for me, um, one key thing is just having like a really lofty goal. Mm-hmm yearly and also just like one that's hanging over my head like i'm at 32 units right now yeah i want to get to 100 units within the next three years okay um and and it's one of those things where at the time it might feel kind of like a impossible mountain to climb Mm -hmm. one step at a time you know yeah pretty darn far in life um and then uh just to stay motivated i mean these are like really Simple tips, I'm sure everyone knows about this, but you know, I, I found for me personally, like everything starts with going to the gym. Like mm-hmm. once I go to the gym and, and feel like I'm in a healthy physical mindset, mm-hmm. then everything else falls in place. And also getting like a lot of good rest. Like I just started doing this in the last couple of months, which is if I feel tired, like I'll just find time to try to rest my eyes for 15 to 30 minutes, even take a quick nap and just being fully regenerated to like go, go attack the rest of the day. Yeah. Having your daily goals, your your big time goals, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, going to people say like knowing your why. You know, yeah, that's really important. And and my why is like trying to, um, by the age of forty, feel like my wife and I we can kind of fully retire on, mm-hmm. on passive income. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that you guys will be able to do that. You know, like the path that you're going, like it's only a couple more years before you totally take off. You know. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I'm going to make sure she listens to this and <laughs> she knows that, that we're on a good path. Definitely. And that's the cool thing about real estate too. You know, like you, you work, you work, you make little progress every day and that eventually it, it just compounds and you just move really, really quickly, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing about real estate is you never know when the next, next deal is going to come in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can all come in all at once and you're mentally ready for it and you've taken all of it, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the cool part. Or sometimes when you're mentally ready or there's no deal, you're like, oh, where is this going? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when your your motivation, your self-belief kicks in. You're like, okay, like, just continue doing it. Like, uh, I'll pay off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I like that a lot, man. Um, so if you were to start over your real estate career all over again, what would you do, what would you do differently? I think I would have partnered earlier. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think that's one thing. But I think even before that, mm-hmm. I, think I would have just um, talked about real estate to my friends and, and yeah. anyone earlier. You know, I think early mm-hmm. on, I think I had a sense that 
was learning a lot when mm-hmm. I was interested, but I was shy to kind of broadcast that. Yeah. You can only imagine like if instead of having done eight deals, then I started t- talking to people. If at mm-hmm. the deal point, I started just, you know, not in an arrogant way, being just very humble, but just saying, hey, I'm into real estate and, and, and talking to your friends about deals that you're finding. Yeah. I'm really surprised that the people who would want to partner up and join from you and also folks that just want to listen too. Yeah. And one of those things that, you know, when you teach people, um, mm-hmm. not only do you reinforce what you know, but mm-hmm. it's helps you um maybe find yeah other other people to work with in the future too yeah i agree with that man like that's that's something i think about too like if i would have started earlier I, but but then like everyone moves at a different pace you know like real estate investing is such a huge mental hurdle for most people mm-hmm. as they're going through it it's like you have to grow as a person to be able to make these conversations and feel good about what you say and what you preach and what you teach you know like so yeah, I, I agree with that. Like starting earlier is always good, but it's always that, that you, you know, the you factor, you know, like you have to be able to become that person first before you can like help other and broadcast things. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I hear you on that. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. it's easy to say, I wish I got started on something earlier. Yeah. All the kind of steps are, are what made you who you are today. Right. And Definitely. it's hard to rewrite, think about rewriting history because then, everything would change and, and yeah. yeah and and also like, i think you're doing really well already you know most people can't say i left my wt job to become a full-time real estate investor but here you are you know yeah. real estate agent and real estate investor living the dream dude most people want to be in that position <laughs> i think every guest on your podcast brian is just trying to get to your level to be honest no i'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get to everyone else's level <laughs> Hey Cliff, as we're approaching the end of the show, so I want to talk about what's your favorite book? Like what 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 was that book that was a breakthrough for you that you're like, oh my god, I always refer to it, I always tell people about it. I'm super motivated because I because I read that book. Like what's your favorite book? Does everyone just say Rich Dad Poor Dad for this one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I mean no, I, I mean I got a lot of good info from that book. I read it mm-hmm. online. I would say in terms of um, real estate investing, one book that I've read through and plan to reread, you know, every year I have a bunch of highlights in throughout the book. It's the Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's just, it seems like it has a cheesy title, but man, there are just some really, really good nuggets. In it's by Gary Keller, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. from the founder of Keller Williams Brokerage. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those books that if you are motivated and you literally follow all the steps that are in that book, mm-hmm. you'll be a successful real estate investor, you know? Yeah. And like, just on that note on books, like I think just books are just so important for folks to be, you know, absorbing, reading through. You know, I remember that, and I don't know the quote exactly, but it's like, the, the dumb person will not learn from his or her mistakes. The average person will learn um, from his or her mistakes. And then the really smart person is learning from the mistakes of others, you know? And exactly. it's like, the resources available to us, either mm-hmm. out of your pockets and books and all this, it's just the literature out there is just it's amazing, you know? And then yeah. for the folks who are motivated, it's, it's mm-hmm. crazy what you can learn. Yeah, I agree with that, man. Like, I, I like that too. Because every, every time I go out to networking events and I talk to people, I mean, it sounds, it sounds really, really weird. But I always ask them, like, what kind of mistakes did he make? Like, and how did he learn from it? And what happened, you know? Like, those are things I like to hear. 
Because mm-hmm. when it comes down to crunch time, when it's down to making the decision, you're like, oh my God, you refer to not the good things, but the bad things. <laughs> you're like, all right, <laughs> this person did this, this and that. I did this and that. All right, let's not do that again. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how you save yourself a lot of pain and, and money as well. But yeah, um, I appreciate you taking the time to be in the show. So how can we find out more about you? How can our listeners reach out to you, Clifford? Yeah, um, I think the easiest way is if, if you're interested in reaching out, just shoot me an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, my email is cliff, C-L-I-F-F dot Sang. Um, my last name, T-S-A-N-G. Mm-hmm. Compass.com. That's the best way to reach me. And then Great. If you want to talk about investing or looking to buy or sell property in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And I'll also include his email in the show notes as well. Awesome. Cool. Thank you to be, thank you for being on the show, Clifford. Appreciate it, man. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Yep. Thank you. All right. Bye.